Have you seen the comical t-shirt based on the 1985 movie Back to the Future? It depicts the absent-minded doc instructing young Marty McFly, whatever you do, Marty, don't go to 2020. This has been a very strange year. All of us have had multiple challenges to navigate. In the midst of it all, youth culture marches on as does our responsibility to know what's happening in the culture so that we might bring the light of God's word to offer needed correctives to the course of this world. What are the current youth culture trends we need to be aware of? Stick with us as I chat with four culture-watching youth workers about what they've seen trending in youth culture over this last summer, along with how to shape biblically sound ministry responses on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Youth Culture Matters. We've been on a bit of a, a hiatus, a lockdown, huh, Chris? Uh, over the summer, and Chris has been kind enough as we've taken some time off to post some of our favorite podcast episodes, Youth Culture Matters episodes from years past. I think we're now in our, what, our fifth year? Yeah. Fourth year, fifth, fifth year, year doing this, so well over 100 episodes, and we're very excited about the episode we have today, which we're going to do as we've done in the past. At the end of the summer, we take a look back at youth culture and what youth culture did last summer kind of reminiscent of those essays, you know, when you would have to write your first English essay in elementary school after you got back from your summer vacation. We kind of know what everybody did this summer, but probably just about nothing but be locked down and wear masks. But youth culture was very active, and so I have brought in four of my good friends who I believe you are all familiar with because they've all been on the podcast before, and we're going to take some time to introduce them, but they're youth workers, boots on the ground. They're culture watchers, trend watchers. They are working diligently to bring the light of the gospel, the unchanging truths of God's word to bear on cultural realities that exist, which is what we're all about here at CPYU. So that's one reason why, one among many reasons why I love these folks, and it's a joy for us to have them back. So uh, let me go through and we'll introduce everybody. I'm going to do this based on what I see on my screen here because they're all joining us remotely. And let me start with my buddy Mike, Mike McGarry, who is in Boston. Um, he's been dealing with a, a sports virus his entire life that uh, we're hoping there's going to be a, a vaccine for it someday. I knew uh, but, something along these lines would be yeah. the first thing you said about me. Yeah, yeah. I knew I'm, it. And I'm guessing, because I don't know what everybody's... We've asked all these folks to bring a trend, you know, something yeah. that Youth Culture did this summer, and I, I don't know... I, Mike, I'm not sure if you're going to talk about Tom Brady moving south or not. I know that that's been eating you alive, I'm guessing. Oh, man. Yeah. It, you <laughs> know what? People up here are more mad at Gronk than at Brady, because Gronk just retired and quit on the team because he didn't want to play for the Patriots anymore. And then he was like, oh, cool. I can go somewhere else now. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think most people up here now have two favorite teams that they're cheering for. 
Yeah, so Mike, you're at uh, South Shore Baptist, correct? South Shore Baptist yep. Church? Yep. And I'm going to try to get this right. Is it in Hingham? It is in Hingham. In Hingham. Or as people yeah. who are not from the Boston area would say, Hingham, right? Hingham. Yeah, Hingham, because yep. that's how it's yep. spelled. And yep. is this the start of your third year there? No, this I just finished my first year. Okay, all right. So interestingly, seven of the 12 months that I've been at this church were in quarantine, which makes for a very interesting first year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Mike, a couple things about Mike. Uh, Mike was one of our students in the Doctor of Ministry program at Gordon-Conwell, Duffy Robbins, Adonis Vidu, and I had Mike for three years. I, it was my privilege to be able to be Mike's mentor, and out of that came a book that you can tell us about. Yeah, so the, the book is A Biblical Theology of Youth Ministry, uh, Teenagers in the Life of the Church. Uh, it's published by Randall House Academic last year, and uh book just looks at uh, really the main question is, uh, is youth ministry biblical? And what are the biblical, exegetical, theological, historical foundations for youth ministry? And um, some kind of rough parameters for what that should mean and uh, basic minimums for uh, what should be true in every youth ministry. So I'm not trying to make a new paradigm necessarily as much as just kicking the foundations and... Um, saying what are the biblical truths that we should build on instead of just continuing uh, the ministries that we may have grown up in. Yeah, so, so the, the, and, and I love it, the sad reality is that this book is needed because so many of us have not grown up uh, with foundations, and there's so many of us who do youth ministry now, and we really haven't thought through these things. So in, in many ways, like you said, it's not you know, a new paradigm, but it really is recovery of a biblical paradigm and what should be. And so for every youth worker, I think it's it's worth reading. And churches, if you're looking to hire a youth pastor or you're working to establish a youth ministry, maybe for the first time, it would be a good starting point. I'll put my stamp on it for that, that that, that it would be a great book for you to, to read for that. And I, I can't... Well, and I think it's a good book for youth workers to give their elder boards um, or whoever their church leadership team is um and encourage them you know would you be willing to read this with me yeah good good and by the way if elder boards the larger the church the better it is because mike sells more books that way so if you're (laughs) at a large church you want to get all the elders reading that and and i need to mention one more thing because we're going to get to one of our other friends here in a minute you you actually co-host a podcast um now yeah, kind tell us about that. I've, li- I've listened to That's it. That's the main thing I did this summer. It's been so fun. Kevin, uh, Kevin Yee and Clark Phobes and I are um, co-hosting a podcast called Thanos to Theos, talking about Thanos from Marvel Comics, so the, the, integrating the world of comic books and theology and youth ministry, and it's just a lot of fun, and yeah. I think it, it's insightful um, to look at just how is culture, you know, this is one of your... Your things that I've learned from you, Walt, is uh, how does pop culture um, carry real deep meaning, um, and how does that integrate in with how we minister to students and uh, respond theologically? Yeah, and and uh, you guys have often heard you guys describe yourselves, the three of you, when you talk about yourselves, you use these words that um, it's almost apologetic. Like, what are some of the words you guys use to describe yourselves? Brilliance, good looking. No, no, that, those aren't amazing, the ones I was thinking. Of. Uh, no, on the podcast. 
I'm not talking about with each other. You compliment it. Geeks. There you go. Which I'm going to say, that's one of the fun things about it. And it it makes it since, you know, it's all geeks who are on there. It gives me great joy that you've never asked me to be on there because that means that I'm not included in that category. Is that correct? Okay. All right. Good. So, so Mike's here and Mike's going to share a trend with us in a little bit. Let me just go. I'm going to go around here uh, on my screen. So Carrie Trumpio is also in the Boston area. And um, I don't know if you noticed, Kerry, but Chris, you can see him on your screen. He's wearing his Yankees shirt. Is that is that triggering you at all? Or I'm aware. And I'm uh, going to have to step away. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. but, it, welcome to my world. There are many times during the day I have to step away. Uh, just It's not just the Yankees. It's other things. Well, and he steps away from me, too. But uh, So Kerry's on the North Shore, the beautiful north shore of boston in topsfield tell us about what you're doing there along with being a mom yeah um sure so i'm at um, our savior lutheran church in topsfield um just started my eighth year there and um run the the elementary school program the youth program um the local mission outreach and uh, it's a pretty small church but a great community to be a part of for sure Awesome. And so we've gotten to know Carrie over the years. I first met her uh, through the Rooted folks, and then we started to realize the different connections that we have uh, with people in ministry, and that's been really fun. So Carrie's here, and she's got something she's going to share as well. I'll go. I'm going to skip over Kevin. I'll come back to him last. I have to. I, I want to go over to, to Chelsea real quick. So Chelsea Erickson, also on the beautiful North Shore. And when I think of you, Chelsea, I get very jealous because every day you're on that beautiful road, 1A there, that runs. I often tell people that I I think that's the most beautiful drive, you know, from North Beverly straight up to the New Hampshire border. I see that, to me, that's one of the most beautiful drives anyone can ever take in this country. And your church sits right on there. Tell us about what you're doing there. Yeah, so I agree. I think it's such a beautiful spot. I'm not a native New Englander, but I feel so uh, just blessed to have landed in this corner of the country and specifically on this road, 1A. Um, So I'm the pastor of Youth and Families at um, First Congregational Church in Hamilton. So it's uh, the same community that Gordon Conwell is in, same town, actually, um, and a historic church. So it's kind of fun um, in that regard, 300 years old, 308 years old, something like that. Um, but it's still vibrant today. And I also serve as the um, as one of the editors on the Rooted team for the blog. Mm-hmm. So that's okay as well. Awesome. awesome. And I, you know, well, when you were when you were given Mike grief about the about Boston sports, I thought you better watch out because you're started to interject. You're outnumbered here, you know, with three of yeah. us. Yeah, but aren't you a Cubs well, fan? We, Chris I and I, am. yeah. I'm a lifelong Cubs fan, but you know, the beauty is that because they're in a different league. I can still vote. I can not vote. I can still root for the Red Sox. I vote for the Red Sox. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I vote for them. I love that. Uh, good. And, and hey, you've got you. You've been telling the world some big news about about you. Your family's growing. Yeah, yeah. My husband and I are expecting a baby at the end of December, our first. So we are really just overjoyed and overwhelmed at the same time. We've got some work starting on our house today. It's crazy over here. Yeah. So. Well, well, thanks for taking <laughs> time to join us. Chelsea, you'll share with us as well. And then last but not least, joining us is Kevin Yee. And Kevin got up early this morning to be with us. Uh, and he's on the West Coast. Kevin, I, I, I've loved getting to know Kevin. And his wife is just 
hilarious. Um, they they bring joy everywhere they go. I know that because I see that and I hear that. Kevin, tell us about what, what you're doing out there. Yeah, so I'm uh, in Los Angeles, California at a Korean American church, uh, church every day. Uh, my official title is the education pastor, which just means I oversee K through 12 at our church. Um, and I recently launched the college and young adults ministry at our church. So I'm officially uh, no longer the youth pastor, but still overseeing uh, youth mm. at our church. And also on the podcast. And also co-host with Mike on the Thanos to Theos Geek Nerd Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what, oh, yeah. what was it? Proud just, to wear that Just badge. out of curiosity, because we want people to go there. Uh, what was what was the last episode that you folks recorded? What was the topic? Uh, it was on um, discipleship, actually, uh, during lockdown, during quarantine. Uh, okay. What does discipleship look like? What are some of the things that we've been doing? Um, that was our Theos topic. And then our Thanos topic was we uh, ranked all of the MCU movies, the Marvel movies. The bottom three and, and the top three. And fought a lot about it. I was just going to say... I've we listened in on these arguments, and I've 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 wondered about that. Now, just out of curiosity, have you got have either of you two bought customized comic book masks to wear to show your allegiances that you hold so dear and you fight about? Oh yeah, you have one, oh, Kevin. Mike, Mike does. I I do. I totally do. And Mike does too. I, his his <laughs> is my favorite. Oh, wow. oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> We can't talk about that. All though. right. Here, yeah, here we go. See, this is why you need to listen to this podcast. It's just fun to listen to these guys. So That, that was a pretty good way for them to, like, sucker in some new new listeners. Now <laughs> yeah, to yeah, in. yeah, yeah. We're actually exactly. recording in a few hours to oh, talk okay. about leadership. Okay. About leadership in comics and in youth ministry and what are signs and marks of bad leadership and of good leadership and different examples and in comics and in scripture and in our culture and why does that matter for youth ministry? Yeah, yeah. I told them, you know, my favorite comic book hero is Jughead. And I didn't even get a response from them because I, I they just, that's like, is that like low level? Is that like the difference between comic high culture and comic low culture? Yeah. Oh, anyway, all right. So, so hey, hey, let's jump into a little bit on the trends here. And um, I'll ask this. Who, who would like to go first? Who wants to bring something that you've encountered to the table? And we're going to try to think... Uh, practically about this and, and model for you a little bit of what uh, Richard Osmer, who's written on practical theology, calls these these steps to practical theology. Because this is what we do, right, as parents, as youth workers. And Osmer has these things where, you know, you ask four questions. First is, you know, what is happening? Secondly, why is this happening? Third, what should be happening? And fourth, what do we do now? Now, I know that we'll do a great job at the first, right? What is happening? And maybe we'll have a little bit of discussion that can take us a little bit deeper into those other three. But this is the task of practical theology, and a bit, it's a bit uh, difficult and time-consuming, but it's certainly what we're about in youth ministry and what discipleship is about as well as we teach our kids to think critically and Christianly about what they encounter in the culture. So who wants to go first? Give us a trend. Oh, they're fighting. This is amazing. Kevin, you're muted. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely go first. Okay. Um, the trend I want to bring up actually is um, rapid onset gender dysphoria mm. or transgenderism. Um, and I want to bring this up because I've been reading a book um, 
called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, um, or Schreier, Abigail Schreier. And it's been alarming on a number of different levels. Um, and I think that it's um, a must read for um, youth workers right now because it's not just specifically about transgenderism, but it really is about um, some of the issues regarding um, sexuality and what it means to be human as a whole. Um, and these are issues that are being talked about in our culture, um, not really being debated because I think um, so much of what our culture has been communicating about gender and sexuality is just assumed. Um, and our, and our, and our students and our kids are just, um, absorbing this stuff in corners of the internet, um, that I think is, uh, what this book is exposing, um, and really, really helpful to understand why this has become a trend, um, especially among, um, adolescent girls. So sort of the preteen girls as they're going through puberty, um, there's an ideology out there that's really hanging on to them, and it's very effective. Um, the trans ideology is very effective in sort of capturing the, um, the, the brokenness, I think, of what's happening with girls. Uh, the way that she puts it in the book is that um, pre-teenage girls are going through a phase where puberty feels like their body is attacking them. And it's at that moment when it's most painful that they're beginning to hear these messages of, well, maybe the reason why you feel so terrible during this uh, time is because this isn't normal. This isn't what it's supposed to be like. Maybe you're actually uh, a male and not a female. And that's why you're rubbing so hard up against this. Uh, and so that begins to kind of open them up to this ideology. And yeah. so, um, yeah, there's a, there's a number of things in this book where she kind of walks through uh, sort of the... Um, messaging of the trans ideology, and I don't think that it's just uh, limited to the trans movement, but I really think that it applies kind of across the board to what teenagers are hearing about uh, human anthropology as a whole. Yeah. And so I think in lockdown, in quarantine, as more and more kids have been exposed to YouTube and been exposed to just a lot more screen time and a lot less, I think, um, parental oversight, just because with all the Zoom meetings that kids have to have and different things like that, I think this stuff has probably been exploding, but it's probably more underneath the surface right now. And I think this is stuff that we do need to alert and help our parents um, be aware of um, moving forward. Yeah. How, how many are, are any of the rest of you reading this book? Because I am right now. It's a, it's an excellent book. If any, no, you, you folks have it. I think Kevin. I ordered it based on Kevin's recommendation, but I haven't started it yet. So, okay. yeah. You, yeah, and, and I would suggest based on Kevin's recommendation and, and our recommendation here that folks who are listening should order it. It is fascinating. Uh, it is frightening. I think that her analysis of, you know, we talk about Osmer and the, the steps in practical theology. She talks very well about what is happening and why is this happening because she brings together and helps us see this perfect storm of so many of the cultural trends and realities that are feeding this. And many of them have existed for a long time. So, you know, we've talked here about expressive individualism, with which Charles Taylor, you know, has written about that in, in A Secular Age. And it, it, basically it's about being authentic to yourself. And so when that is blowing in the wind, when that's a strong undercurrent, 
you know, on the surface, you're going to see a lot of this happen where kids are going, well, maybe not, maybe this is not, as Kevin said, who I am, but this is who, who I need to become. So it's an excellent book. Kevin, are you, would, would you be okay if I asked you to say, just let people know a little bit about what rapid onset gender dysphoria actually is so they know what we're looking for here? They're not familiar with that. Yeah, so it's this idea that uh, gender dysphoria um, is clinically diagnosed as basically um, what we call transgenderism. But rapid onset gender dysphoria is a term that was coined by Lisa um, someone doing research. Lisa Lippman yes. at Brown University. Yeah, and so basically she was doing some research on why all of a sudden – uh, there seemed to be this trend among teenage girls that were all of a sudden saying that they were trans. And basically, it's this idea that this was something that was socially brought about. So it was groups of friends and groups of girls that were suddenly declaring themselves to be transgender as if it was a trend. Um, but what's really interesting is um, this uh, researcher, uh, Lisa Littman, she got in trouble for doing this research, which is why, which is kind of where the book is coming from, because can't you're not allowed to do research about this anymore um and politically, so it's politically incorrect culturally right it's yeah. politically yeah exactly and so it's interesting that this book exists and hasn't been actually banned by amazon there's been a number of uh sort of christian authors who have had their books pulled because of their um uh what they have written about on homosexuality and transgenderism and so it's interesting that but this book is still being sold um, because of those, those types of trends. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and what it is is, you know, it's called a social contagion. So much like, and I love that she brought this up in the book because we talked about this uh, cutting in years past, you know, virtually unknown except in the clinical, you know, community where there was a small number of people, you know, three, four decades ago, relatively small doing it. But then, you know, kids start to talk about it, and because they talk about it, they start to do it. Now we have the Internet. It's out there. You can actually watch tutorials. Kids who are confused, kids who are trying to find themselves, kids who are feeling a little bit of emotional uh, upheaval in their lives may, may, may choose to engage in this just because it's become sort of viral and contagious. The whole anorexia, anorexia body dysmorphia, um, the pro-Anna websites that are out there. This is a social contagion as well. And what I found very interesting about this was that she does lay out in this book very clearly how the shift has taken place not only in the increase in statistics, but typically this was boys, correct? She talks about that, and now it's overwhelmingly girls. And I think you did a good job there, Kevin, of defining it. And uh, so, so let me ask this. I don't know if any of you have encountered this in your ministries. If not yet, you will. Uh, I'm sure listeners, many listeners have because we, we see these questions. We get these questions all the time. You know, what, as you folks think about responding to this, all four of you, uh, what are some ways, as you think about what should be happening and how do we respond, what are some suggestions that you would have, uh, you know, based on your, your, your role in youth in youth ministry for other youth workers and even for parents. Yeah, well, I, <clears throat> I know in my um, in my own ministry in the last month, um, I've had uh, two different parents come to me and tell that and tell me that they've had these conversations with one of their kids, um, who during quarantine they've had extended time to themselves to be able to kind of rehearse their new gender identity. Whereas if they were in school, it, it's 
it's a steeper climb to just jump right into that. So I think that a lot of us in youth ministry are going to see this on the rise as ministries begin to relaunch and students begin to re-engage in the world because they've had so much time um, in isolation um, to, to um, you know, research things on the internet, to watch all sorts of YouTube videos, to explore this um, potential identity change for themselves. Um, and so, honestly, uh, it, it's totally overwhelming when you're talking with a parent and they are just absolutely shattered. Um, and I, I guess that in those conversations, the, the main thing that I wanted to repeat to them is the gospel and that um, if we say that our sexuality does not define us, but every conversation that parents have with their kid is now going to be about their sexuality, then we are allowing our kids' gender to identify them. Mm. Um, and so just really encouraging parents to still love their kid um, we can't approve of their sin, but we can love them generously as God is generous in his love for us when we are stupid, stubborn sinners and, um, applying, applying that grace. And it's really messy because we want, I wish I had a clean cut answer that I can give these parents. Um, but I don't think God gives that. You know, ju just a couple observations and responses to what you said there, Mike. You said a couple of uh, words that uh, gave me thoughts related to this, because we've thought about this quite a bit here, and, and we've done some work on this. But you said, you know, for these parents, it comes out of nowhere. And so that's where, as Kevin shared with us, it's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. It does come out of nowhere, because there is, in these cases, consistently no history from a young age of a child struggling with a with gender identity and you know if they were born a girl they they were a girl but then all of a sudden you know this this so it is it's out of nowhere and it's shocking you also mentioned that in this time of the shutdown they've been able to rehearse their new identity and it's not just rehearsing their new identity as i've read the book and listened to some of these stories it, it's it seems to be common thread that as kids are being tutored by what they're seeing and, and hearing on the internet, especially with the, with the trans agenda, is that they are almost memorizing, rehearsing and memorizing scripts of how to communicate this to their parents. And one of the end results of a lot of this is you communicate it and then you cancel. You, you cancel your parents, you cancel your relationship. So yeah, it's interesting. What about the rest of you? Any other responses that, that come to mind here? I just think, um, Kevin, I haven't read that book, but I made note as soon as you, um, you know, mentioned it. And I think um, we don't have, we haven't dealt with this yet at our um, church and our youth group, but that doesn't mean that it's not coming. So I think the more that youth workers and, you know, church-wide and parents, um, the more that we can read and listen and study um, and have, you know, so that when you feel like this is coming out of nowhere or, you know, when you feel that, that you are in some sense prepared because you've done the reading and the work. So, Kevin, I appreciate that um, recommendation, too. 
order it on Amazon today. <laughs> yeah, I you know I think I have seen it a couple times over the years and walked with some families um, through these questions. Uh, specifically to transgender, probably more often with the sexuality conversation, which very different ideology, but I think it follows a similar path where kids are um, kind of trying on an identity that um, they see and kind of exemplified in pop culture and in their schools. Um, but I think, you know, part of the answer for me is we've got to start earlier having these conversations, you know, knowing that this is coming. And I remember like it was yesterday in your class, Walt, that Carrie and I took and some of our other friends, uh, the symposium on biblical sexuality. I remember a friend from Rhode Island, a pastor there sharing a terrifying story about what was being taught to kindergartners, that they were being invited to um, share, like, you know, they looked at a flannel graph and it was like, where do you feel on this spectrum of male to female today? You know, so not only is it a spectrum, but it can change from day to day. So I think we have to be realistic about how early this is being indoctrinated. You know, that's probably an outlier, I would think, at this point for that to be in kindergarten. But it does, you know, gives you pause to think, okay, how early is this being introduced? So I think we as as church leaders, you know, most of us work specifically with middle and high school students. But if we can encourage younger families to begin having a conversation that sets the framework for what is a theology of the body mm-hmm. that lines up with scripture. What is the script? You know, we actually as Christians have a script that is true, that is beautiful, that is good, that is gospel centered, that is God honoring. And if we can begin to teach that with more intention in those earlier years, I think kids are going to have more of a leg to stand on when they encounter uh, these lies from the culture that are so pervasive. So, you know, that maybe doesn't help us for our middle and high schoolers as much. Um, I think we can still be encouraging parents to have those conversations at home, to be drawing their kids. You know, this generation cares so much about beauty. And so to be helping their kids to see the beauty of God's design, the beauty of the way that he's created um, their bodies and even their sexuality. Um, But especially if we can urge younger families in our churches to begin that conversation early, I think that's really helpful. Uh, The other thing that came to mind for me, and again, this is on more of the homosexuality piece, but it could be helpful for families that are dealing with um, this transgender kind of question with their kids. There's an organization here um, in the Boston area, I believe they're based here, called Lead Them Home. And they come from a, you know, their background is definitely in this orthodox biblical framework of um, biblical sexuality. But they don't, that's not really their primary goal to present that. It's more of how do you help a family who holds that, that viewpoint, that theology, walk with a family member, a friend, somebody in their life who is uh, sharing, you know, hey, I'm, I'm gay, or even maybe we could apply this to, I think I'm transgender. And it's this, it's a really nice little kind of um, almost like a leaflet. It's not actually a book, but just some material that kind of walks them through some language they might use to have the kind of conversation you were talking about, Mike, that the, that radical affirmation that we see in the gospel, right? That we see mm-hmm. um, in the prodigal God um, and the two sons. So that might be a resource, lead them yeah. home uh, yeah, for people yeah. who are struggling with this. Let me, let me let me kind of summarize this because we'll move on to another trend. There's so much here that's left to talk about. But what I hear you all saying, and, and I'm so glad, Kevin, you brought this trend up, is you're, you're modeling here and you're encouraging people, both youth workers and parents, to do what John Stott always called double listening. Listening to the Word, 
of God and listening to the world and working to understand how to bring the light of God's Word to bear on the realities that exist in the world. This is the task of any cross-cultural missionary, and certainly we as parents and as youth workers are cross-cultural missionaries. And so I, I hear this. I think, it's, I think it's very important for us to understand that. And so in our churches, and I like what you've all said here, in our churches, not just to, to walk alongside people and realize that this is a process, but to start young to teach biblical truth. Because one of the things we've said here over and over is, whoever has the conversation first with a child owns the conversation, sets the bar. This is what, in a child's mind, becomes normal. So the culture we know is speaking at younger and younger ages on this, and and it's not just kids may happen to hear it. There are concerted efforts now to communicate these things uh, to our kids, this this way of thinking about sexuality and gender. And so it puts us in a bit of an uncomfortable situation, but it's where we need to be. And God will walk us through this where we talk at younger and younger ages so that we own the conversation and set the bar and how everything will be compared against, uh, uh, you know, a biblical view of sexuality. Um, Let's let's run to one more uh, before we take a break. Can we do that, Chris? We'll do that. Yeah, he's he's pointing to his watch. But let's do one more here. And uh, who do we want to jump to? I just overruled him. He's wearing a Yankee shirt. I overruled him. It's, I'm kind of scared right now. <laughs> I'll just edit it in a yeah, commercial right. wherever yeah, I we'll want. Yeah, I'll put a commercial in right Yeah, <laughs> mine, mine might kind of go along with okay. this as far as um, it's a little bit broader, but I think it relates to some of what we were talking about, about the time at home that kids have had in, over this summer and in recent months. Um, so I've just been alarmed, and as I'm sure you all have, to see kind of the anger and anxiety that kids are working through during this time. Um, and it's no surprise. I mean, they're, they're going through so much. It's really unprecedented. It's been a long time since our nation or our world has had a pandemic of this scale. So obviously we're all learning and trying to figure out how to work through these things. And for kids that are in a developmental age where they're, um, you know, they're trying to individuate from their parents, they're trying to have more autonomy and freedom, and then suddenly they're stuck at home. It's, I think, been just really traumatic and challenging. Um, but part of what's interesting to me about it, too, is that, um, you know, I was really fascinated by Jean Twenge's work on iGen, um, the book with the really long, amazing title. So <laughs> maybe Chris can plug it for us. But it's why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy and completely unprepared for adulthood and what that means for the rest of us. Uh, but it's a great book. It really helped me to make sense of who this generation is in comparison to my own. I'm kind of an older millennial, maybe a zennial. Um, but it, it helped make sense of some of the shifts that I've observed over the last years. And one of the things that she talks about is that kids are spending so much more time, but, but this is pre-pandemic, you know, kids are spending so much more time online, on devices, less time with their friends. She says, um, as I think she says somewhere in this chapter on this particular issue, maybe as much as four hours less a week or up to an hour less a day with their friends. And that's not being replaced just by studying or extracurricular activities. It's actually being replaced by time with their friends in online spaces, either texting or what have you on social media. Um, and she shows how the statistics actually link this to the mental health challenges that this generation faces. So I think it's so fascinating on two levels um, and troubling, not just fascinating, but troubling 
number one, that students um, now have even more time online. They're, you know, here in our area where Carrie and I live, all, like all of our students are online except for maybe one or two districts that are hybrid and for their school this year. Um, so they're upset about that naturally. Um, but they're going to have all this time online, even more than they've had in abundance. And so, of course, that's driving the mental health challenges. At the same time, what I'm observing in students in my area is that they're very aware of that. You know, so kids that might have wanted to spend more time online previously are now dying for social connection. They're dying to be together in person. So on that level, it's a little bit encouraging that they're recognizing their need for that. But I guess I've just struggled to know, you know, how do we help them with this in a time when there's so many limitations and how do we resource parents who are dealing with, you know, there was an article on um, Washington Post that I can share too back in April where, you know, this, this uh, author talked about kids who normally are pretty happy-go-lucky, you know, screaming at their parents and, you know, telling them to go to hell, like really troubling kind of behaviors um, and I would say, you know, haven't observed that to that scale in my ministry, but I've seen kids who are usually pretty happy go lucky be in a pretty dark place. So what do we do for these kids? It's not a trend that we can, you know, like these other trends, it's nothing that we can control in the culture. So how do we respond as youth workers, as pastors? Yeah. What have you, what have you folks done and anything in your ministries? Because this was there's a lot of talk from the mental health community about, you know, staying staying really in tune with kids and the kinds of things they're having to navigate now. And even in our youth ministry communities, you know, this word anxiety comes up a lot. And it's legit. You know, I mean, I think there's an element to teen anxiety that's a contagion, you know, that everyone else is anxious, so I have to be anxious too. But I think there's legitimate causes for legitimate anxieties and stresses that kids are feeling. So have any of you responded to this through your ministries? What have you done? Anything with parents? Anything with students? Uh, back before the, the pandemic began, um, we actually, in our ministry, spent a couple weeks teaching through the gospel and anxiety. And we used the, the Fuller, um, Fuller Youth Institute curriculum and modified that to fit in our context and uh, with different things that we like to highlight and emphasize. Um, and so we, we use that modified curriculum to to have some honest conversations about anxiety and depression and mental health struggles with our students. And then um, with students' permission, um, you know, had uh, youth leaders write down some, you know, quotes from students about, you know, students, what do you want your parents to hear from you about mental health and anxiety? What do you wish they knew? Um, and just shared those quotes, didn't attribute them to people, uh, but just said, was it a male? Was it a, a female? Was it a boy, girl? And um, everyone was surprised by the anxiety levels of our high school guys. Um, and in some ways, they were actually more anxious than our, our high school girls because they feel like they aren't allowed to be anxious, so they just stuffed it. Um and especially now in quarantine, where they don't have sports, they don't have those outlets and everything. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's like anxiety on steroids right now. And um, I'm I'm only aware of one student who has been hospitalized during this quarantine for anxiety, 
have zero doubts that there are students in my ministry who have needed professional help whose parents just won't share because there is still there's still a stigma about it with the parents but the teenagers like it's no big deal oh yeah yeah i was in a hospital for anxiety like it just it's so normal to them but with the parents there's still that shame that that leads them to to hide it and to not talk about it with others yeah boy you know when you talk about culture whenever stigma disappears whenever stigma disappears that, that's an indicator that something's being accepted and normalized and yeah and you're talking about that there mike a- any of the rest of you we've um just been quick to refer out i'm happy to sit with students or with parents and uh, we have a number of students who are now in these last six months um, also facing their parents have lost their job so there's a lot of stress within the home um, not just coming from school and athletics and extracurriculars but really uh, stemming from the people that they're closest with and maybe the only people they've seen in the last six months and uh, I don't know if the church is always quick to uh, refer out to trusted uh, counselors, social workers, whatever it is. So we've, um, a woman at our church, Walt, that you know, uh, Kathy Kishba, has done a wonderful job compiling um, a list of trusted counselors and uh, social workers in our area. And we are very quick to hand that out to families. Mm. And I think that's one of the best ways that we can walk alongside them and equip them. Yeah. Kevin. I'm going to put you on the spot here because I know this is an issue in your context. Um, and, and it's been interesting because I think you are recognizing, as are others who are working in um, situations like you're in, that the kinds of things that perhaps used to be unique in terms of stress and anxiety and high pressure, high pre- pressure for high achievement has now moved more mainstream uh, across you know, racial and ethnic lines. At least it's moving in that direction. So I'm wondering what you're seeing and hearing and how your students are, are handling that or what you're doing. Yeah, so absolutely. I think um, anxiety and anger specifically has definitely been on the rise. Um, unfortunately, there's still a massive amount of stigma with regards to mental health within Asian American communities. And so it's still tough for us to be able to uh, recommend counselors um, and therapists. It's something parents are a little bit more open to, but usually by the time they're open to it, they're, it it's it's a little, it's too late, in other words. Um, they're, they're in a much worse place and there's going to be a lot more work that they need to do. Um, and so we're trying our best to put this kind of stuff in front of our parents. Um, talk about it in ways that helps them to realize that these are um, not things to be ashamed of, but these are areas that we need to help our um, parents minister to our children. Um, and we say, you know, mental health is not any different from like a broken arm in the sense of if you see that something's wrong, you're going to go to a professional to help you. You're not just going to make a cast at home, right? You're not going to wrap your arm in toilet paper and hope, pray for the best. You're going to go to the doctor and, and get a cast for a broken arm. Um, but more than that, in, in, with regards to the anger piece, I think talking about how like anger is is a good reaction oftentimes. It's what you do with your anger that makes it a sin. 
And so for our kids who are struggling with this, to talk about hope that we have in Christ, to talk about the hope of heaven, that what you're feeling, this anger, is is right and it's good that you feel this way against uh, the pandemic and just all the limitations and all the stuff that's going on, um, that that's you brushing up against the brokenness of this world. Um, and to kind of affirm that, uh, in our small groups, we encourage our, our, our teachers to constantly be asking our kids, how are they doing? Uh, you may have an agenda for your small group, but if you have kids that are really struggling with things, like ditch the agenda, let's be human first, um, that sort of thing. Um, and it was funny because like about halfway through the summer, I think a lot of the teachers were like, you know, the kids aren't really sharing m many things anymore because every day is the same. There's no difference between a weekday and a weekend. And so uh, we've been coaching them on sort of different types of questions that they can ask to be a little bit more specific about the ways in which um, this continues to be affecting them. Uh, we're just trying to give them an outlet, you know, to be able to share and talk about things that may be frustrating that maybe they themselves haven't even been thinking about or talking about because a lot of our kids are external processors. And so just giving um, different ways for them to talk about that the experiences that they're going through. Mm. Um, in hopes that that would bring that stuff out so they can begin sharing and talking yeah. about it. Yeah, this is good. All right, uh, Chris, do we need a break? Yeah, just push. <laughs> let's just push through. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you that question because I know you're sitting over there, and it's not. It, you know, this is this is excellent, but I know I'm going. Okay, yeah, I think after Kevin's done, we'll take a break. So let's take a break. We'll come back. Hear a couple more trends. Stick with us. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. Well, welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. We're having a conversation today about what youth culture did over the summer. This is a great way to kick off the fall. Maybe not so great as you think about what some of the trends are, but we're talking with four of our friends who are in youth ministry who think about the trends and work to apply the truths of God's Word as they minister in this changing world to students, to parents, uh, to others in their church, applying the gospel uh, to, to what's happening in the world. And I know we're all concerned about that. I want to mention very quickly, uh, Chris, you put up, you will put up on the player. Do you want to explain where people can go to get everything that's been talked about? Because we are talking about a lot of books and, and a lot of other resources here today. Sure. If you're looking for links and uh, other such uh, notes uh, for anything that was mentioned in today's podcast, you can visit our website, cpyu.org. On the homepage, you'll find uh, a link to Youth Culture Matters in this episode. If you click on that page, uh, not only will you find a player where you can play it at, but all the notes and links and stuff from this episode will be in there. So if you happen to be listening uh, you know, through one of your other podcast platforms, but you want to check out these links, visit our website, and you'll find them all there. Yeah, and, and I'll just say a reminder, those of you who are youth workers, well, even parents, we, we want you to encourage others to subscribe to the podcast, give us a good review. That's always helpful. And we want to let you know we actually have a one-minute daily podcast called Youth Culture Today that's actually been on the radio for probably, what, 17, 18 years now, but it's now become a podcast, and you can subscribe to that as well. You'll find it on the website at cpyu.org. That's called Youth Culture Today, and we just do a little one-minute quick uh, overview of something happening in youth culture. Before we started to record this today, we did 
30 episodes. We recorded 30 of our next episodes in here in our studio. So, all right, let's move on. Hey, Carrie, what's okay. happening in Topsfield? Topsfield, <laughs> Massachusetts, besides the fair, is that going to happen this year? No, the fair is canceled. Oh, man, the Tragedy. big Topsfield fair, yeah. Best corn dogs this side of the Mississippi, right? True, and whippy pies the size of your face. Oh, man. You're going to have to find them somewhere else. Size of my face or the size of everybody else's face? Because those are two different sizes, I think. I'm not sure. That's got to be the first time in like 100 years or more, right? Yeah, it's got to be. I don't know the last time it would have been canceled. Yeah, and, even and bad weather, they stay. Crazy. You know, yeah, and, and by the way. Spanish 19... flu was when it was last canceled. Uh, Kevin, how do you know that? Are you Googling as we talk? or I'm, I'm secretly as old as you are. Oh, okay. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's I great. I, too, lived through this. Spanish flu. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good death, Kevin. Yeah. There's actually a great book about that called, it's actually called The Great Influenza, I've read. And I read that before all this because my grandmother, who was born in the late 1890s, contracted that and lived through it. It was especially bad in Philadelphia, uh, where she was from. By the way, I want to mention something about the Topsfield Fair. You know, it, people will think, oh, this is inside talk. I don't want to listen to this. You know, these are these crazy people from the northeast and uh, hey. you know i hey no i identify with you mike I'm because offended. it's that's that's my second home up there i mean i've spent a lot of time up there we lived up there for quite some time but if you're if you think you're not familiar with the topsville fair correct me if i'm wrong here if you've watched the movie grown-ups you've seen the topsville fair is that right with adam sandler and they, they go to the topsville fair or at least there was part of that was filmed. There. I don't know if it was Grown Ups One or Grown Ups Two. You guys are all looking at me like I'm crazy. You don't well, know. Well, those I've never were... seen the movie, but I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> none of you have watched the movie. Around here, so I'm yeah, sure they, that's they right. Yeah, they were all filmed on the North Shore. Yeah, so, yeah. and I just confessed that I'm the only degenerate <laughs> person among this group that watched those crazy films. So. <laughs> Sorry to leave you out of all, all right. Yeah, we know how you've me, been Lord. spending your summer. Yeah, no, this was a long time ago. Movies. I keep telling my wife, I said, at least you got to watch this. There's like a scene that's filmed in Woodman's from Essex, you know, that yeah. famous play. And um, she won't watch because her standards are much higher than mine. So she's learned. <laughs> Carrie, what is your trend? All right, we'll circle back. Um, so we've noticed that um, our students are very um, – passionate and wanting to learn more and talk more about uh, racial injustice this summer specifically. Um, for the last few years, uh, we've gone to um, Voice of Calvary Ministries in Jackson, Mississippi. That's where our uh, summer mission trip has been with an emphasis on uh, racial reconciliation. And uh, this summer, like the rest of you, our trip was canceled, but we still um, sought to uh, you know, have some of those same conversations that we would have potentially had. Um, and so we, uh, with our um, older students and our young adult ministry, actually read John Perkins' book, the same book that we read for the CPYU book club, uh, Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins, and then had uh, weekly Zoom meetings just discussing the book and some questions that came from out of that reading. Um, and I think uh, I've just seen our students um, articulate themselves in much better ways than I ever would have when I was 16, 17 years old. Um, they're thinking deeply and theologically about um, racism and racial injustice. And um, I think the the tools that they have um, kind of at their fingertips, we've kind of talked about the um, potential downside in 
you know, the earlier piece of this podcast of technology and, um, you know, the internet, but I've seen a lot of um, growth and just Christian thought coming from our students um, that has actually been really encouraging to me. Um, Talk a little bit about the discussion you had, the level of depth that you went into. What were some of the things that popped? Because I just reread that book. It originally came out, I think, was it 1977? I just read it. I have the old copy of it. And it's a a fascinating book because it tells Perkins, John Perkins' story. And if you're unfamiliar with the Voice of Calvary, Voice of Calvary Ministries, uh, you can A, read the book, and B, we'll put a link up to Perkins' work down there in Mississippi. But you know, to respond to that, Carrie, I'd love to hear a little bit about the conversation that you had. Sure. Um, so as we read, um, Let Justice Roll Down is really just the biography of John Perkins, um, his personal life, his um, uh, his Christian walk and what that looked like and people who really uh, influenced him, um, as well as the um, kind of organization that he started and the way that the Lord directed his steps. So um, as we read through some of this, our students were uh, first just, um, it took them a while to get over the fact like this isn't that long ago. My grandparents were alive when John Perkins' brother was shot. Um, And when, um, you know, John Perkins was put into prison um, and beaten for no, you know, they, they never could tell him why he was arrested. Um, and I think, uh, so part of our conversation was just recognizing um, that this wasn't that long ago. And like, this isn't exactly how they teach it in my history class <laughs> at school. Um, and so walking through that with students, um, a lot of our students have met Dr. Perkins um, because of the trips that we've gone on to. So um, I think there was just some reconciling for them between this wasn't that long ago. John Perkins is such a strong man of faith um, and um, how the Lord used his life. And then um, I would also say um, our conversation pretty quickly also switched to, um, you know, what the news has covered this summer um, and the divisiveness that students have seen. Uh, We talked a lot about um, our students are very aware what um, Christians stand against, but they're not always very clear what Christians are for. Uh, So we talked a lot about um, how do you uh, engage with people in a way that, um, you know, you can let them know what you're for. Um, And they are so, um, uh, they are into the dialogue that's going on in our culture in just a way that, for myself and my peers, I don't think we were. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like the news is really at their fingertips um, all day. And uh, Kevin, I appreciated what you said, I think during Chelsea's um, uh, session was, um, you know, it's anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's what you do with that. Um, so it's okay to watch the news or see whatever it is you see on Twitter or Instagram um, or TikTok and be upset by that. You know, I think the Lord would be upset by, um, you know, the injustices that we've seen. Um, But what do we do with that? How do we um, take what we've learned and um, hold it against scripture and uh, what God's word says about this place that we're at in our culture right now? 
I'd love to know what the thank you, Carrie. I'd love to know what the rest of you have done. You know, maybe we can share some of that briefly because one of the things that I really, really appreciate about what Carrie did in that book and about John Perkins is that he, in his handling of this personally over the course of his life and starting very early on, did not run to an ideology. Uh, he ran to the gospel. And, I, I, you know, that should inform everything that we encounter and we face in life. And that's been one of the frustrating things for me because it's not just what we t- tend to run to in this particular discussion that can be alarming and that we go to ideologies that are strong and, and, and maybe not helpful uh, in the long run. And then it's not just running to them, but the way that we run and the way that we engage or don't engage in conversation and the way that we don't listen and, and, and we cancel you know, people so quickly. It's so hard to have dialogue, but just reading that book to me was so refreshing in the midst of all this because it gave me gospel hope and it gave me a model, what to run to and how to run. And I'm learning, you know, like all of us, I'm learning. But what, with the rest of us, rest of you, any, any helpful, I know that youth ministry sites are, you know, talking about this like crazy, podcasts the same thing, but anything helpful you can pass on to folks that you've learned? I think for me, I would just have to confess, like, I haven't done enough. Um, You know, I want to engage this conversation with students. I've talked to individuals about them, uh, about it, um, and in smaller groups, but we haven't done anything necessarily super intentional in our ministry. And so I think my task ahead is to read more myself and to kind of consider how we would put something together thoughtfully that um, is biblical, you know, that's not just like capturing the, the ideology of the age, like you were saying, Walt, but that is like deeply gospel centered. Um, so I've ordered a couple books that I just want to read personally and then engage with students on as we kind of try to put something together. But I think one thing that I have tried to do, um, that I think has been effective is I've wanted kids to hear about this from the pulpit Um, And not just kids, but our whole church. So I've tried to include it in pastoral prayers that I've done, in confession, confessional kind of prayers that I've done um, in the the whole church setting um, to make sure that it's that we're not neglecting it as part of our public or not public, our corporate worship. Um, And students and their families have have been thankful for that. You know, they've said, thank you for bringing that up because that was in the news this week. We've been talking about it a lot at home. Our kids have been upset. You know, it was good for them to hear a pastor express, um, repentance corporately and also, you know, prayers of compassion and, and need intercession. So I think that's one thing we've tried to do, but there's so much that I haven't done that I feel convicted about and want to press into more. Mm. I like that. Just a, a mention, a response to what you said about the prayers there corporately and even individually. I've been going back to the book of common prayer and there are many versions of that, but you know, a lot of people, uh, why would you go, you know, why do you, why do you use a prayer book and all these old prayers and it's just, wrote, no, it, they're beautiful, they're thought out, they're balanced, they're deep, they're rich, and, and there are prayers about these very issues from hundreds of years ago, and you know, I know I've shared some of those on Facebook and on my blog, and just because they've been so helpful to me in the midst of this, so youth workers, I would encourage you to get a copy of the Book of Common Prayer and start to, to go through that and to see, you know, what you can glean from that that would be good. Yeah, there was a good article on um, CT and Christianity Today, I think last month, 
I haven't read it in total. I just ran across it yesterday, but it mentioned that and how the, um, you know, the prayer of confession in the book of common prayer says what we have, we repent for what we have done and for what we have left undone. Mm -hmm. And so this author was talking about the sin of complicit, complicity, complicity. I can't say it. Um, and just reflecting on how we need more of that in the church today, we need to reflect and repent for the ways that we've been complicit. And I think, you know, I work in a very white context, suburban, uh, North of Boston. And so I think we have a lot to repent of in that regard in our community that we're just kind of unaware and not thinking about these things and therefore we're complicit. Um, so I thought that was a good, to what you're saying, a good article. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's super important that we just, um, that we speak biblically, uh, that, that we, that we model for our people how to speak biblically on issues of race before we even start talking politically, mm-hmm. um, because everything is political right now. Um, and so, uh, on social media and, um, in leading worship and teaching students and conversations, um, you know, it, it's so hard to talk about issues, uh, biblically, uh, and pastorally without people immediately jumping into the world of politics. So there, there's just certain words and, and things that we just need to be careful about um, that it might not be worth using, you know, phrases like systemic or whatever. If some, if you know someone's going to push back, talk about the principle and then <laughs> kind of circle back and say, hey, you know, we, we believe in corporate, you know, corporate thing that's just an element of biblical theology of um christ died as the federal head of the people of god and the same way um you know christians can't reject corporate salvation and corporate guilt um that's just biblical theology and um thanos the theos episode six uh we had a guest on uh brian brown and uh, had a really good conversation with him um, about race and ethnicity and um, representation. And um, yeah, I, I learned a lot from that conversation. Yeah, and I think it's awesome that uh, we are talking to our students about how to talk about this issue. I really appreciate that, Carrie, that you really walked through and discipled your students in terms of how do we engage uh, online, um, especially. I think that's really important because our Christian witness um, very much uh, depends on our ability to be able to talk about these controversial issues in a way that's Christ-like. Um, and then I think one of the really interesting things is a lot of our students were afraid to talk to their parents about it because they see also some of these issues as generational issues. Yeah. Um, and so it's been really cool to kind of help them walk through this stuff with their parents and then for them to be pleasantly surprised on the other end when their parents see a lot of this stuff, also see it to be an injustice. And they're like, wow, our family's on the same page on this. This is really surprising. Uh, and to see that the way in which they had this conversation with their parents really affected the outcome. Um, and so to really be encouraging them um, that this is an op- gospel opportunity, I think, um, that uh, we shouldn't waste. And I think as Christians, this is a great opportunity for us to talk about how uh, the biblical worldview, how the gospel itself gives us uh, the ability to talk about um, these issues in a way that's very holistic um, and all-encompassing. So that's been really encouraging for us. 
Yeah, this is good. Now, before we move on to, to Mike and his trend, I just want to say that uh, I had a conversation yesterday with Doug Franklin and a group from Leader Treks. They, they meet every couple of weeks online like this. It was a great group of youth workers, and we were talking about how to talk about hard issues and one of the, and this is a hard issue, obviously. I mean, we're, we're thinking a lot about talking about hard issues because we have to do it. And one of the things I suggested was on this, let's go back from very young ages and from the pulpit and everywhere else to Genesis and talk about the value and the dignity and the worth of all people who are made by God in the image of God. Mm-hmm. That not only speaks to the identity issue, but the sexuality issue, the race issue, and you know, yep. one of the things I've had to do with my own personal prejudices, which, you know, you realize we all have these, right? As I've been talking to people, I'm not alone in this. My personal prejudices that could be geographic, uh, certainly Mike knows they could be sports-related, um, you know, racial, ethnic, nationality, denominational, um, you know, whatever it is, it, I have to stop when when that stuff starts to rear its ugly head inside of me I'm getting into the habit of looking at individuals specifically and just saying to myself image bearer divine image bearer seeing everyone as a divine image bearer you know no one is less than at that at that level and that's been really helpful to me and I think we need to instill that you know, in our, in our kids. Well, let's move to Mike. Um, well, so I, I might be short here because, um, I, I had a list of two different topics and, um, they've both already been discussed. So, um, I think one broad thing that I've just been keeping an eye on and have been really concerned about, um, in youth culture and in youth ministry um, has to do with Christian universalism, and I think that's very much on the rise among our students. And um, being able to say, yes, Jesus is the only way to salvation, and making these statements um, that are very gospel-y and that sound very biblical and very gospel-centered and everything. Uh, but then when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out they say, oh, well, Yes, Jesus will say Jesus is the only savior. Dot dot dot, and he will save everyone whether they actually believe in him or not. Um, so, if you're an atheist, Jesus will save you. If you're Muslim, Jesus will save you because God is love, God is grace, God is mercy, God is patient, God is kind, right? And so, um, a, a lot of um, a lot of youth workers who may have grown up in fundamentalist youth groups, churches, um, you know, watching Thief in the Night growing up and all, all sorts of, um, you know, turn or burn and um, evan- youth evangelism that's, you know, scaring kids to to heaven by telling stories about teenagers who died in car accidents and these types of things and saying, oh, well, I don't want to be that type of youth worker. right? I don't want to be that type of youth pastor. And so then we actually we never talk about judgment. We never talk about God's wrath. We never actually talk about the law uh, because, well, we don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be a law-driven youth ministry. I want to be a gospel-driven youth ministry. So um, we don't actually talk about the law. We don't actually talk about God's wrath or God's judgment. Um, And then we have students who are perpetually putting off 
uh, baptism, if you're in a Baptist church, or um, they're just not ready to make a commitment to Jesus when you, you know, kind of press them on just where, hey, where are you with Jesus and with your faith? And say, oh, well, yeah, I think I kind of believe this stuff, but I'm not really sure. Uh, there's no urgency. There's no sense of urgency to anything um, because they're they're getting all the grace um, with with none of the weight behind what makes the gospel such great news. Mm. And, and that's what Bonhoeffer talked about, right, in Cost of Discipleship, that we have a crisis yeah. of cheap grace. And, yeah, cheap grace. You know, and, and Mike, I'm glad you went beyond just students because it really is something that is spreading far and wide within the church and within our youth mm-hmm. ministry world. And and I would—here's my challenge, right? I mean, because i got to think about this, for me, you know, in any issue or any theological doctrine that is integral or foundational to the Christian faith, I may be able to philosophically state very clearly, verbally or in a written confession of faith, something, a belief, a doctrine that's very orthodox, but then functionally downplay it or even deny it without even knowing that I'm doing that. And so this is where I think youth workers need to look clearly, uh, you know, functionally. You know, like, I know the four of you know each other, and I have some very dear friends who are close to me, and one of the things in groups like this that we can do is hold each other accountable. That's what the body of Christ is about. So if I start to see you uh, straying, the best way, and this goes back to what you're saying, the best way for me to love you is not to allow you to think whatever you want to think and teach whatever you want to think, but the best way for me to love you is to tell you the truth and to, you know, pull you back in and so we can keep an eye on each other with that because certainly the culture, just as it's pervasive and compelling and convincing for kids, it's the same for us. You know, mm-hmm. we're swimming in this soup, and I think very quickly our church culture as it starts and our youth ministry culture as it starts to look more and more like the mainstream culture, it just happens over time and like the frog in the kettle before you know it. Man, and I, I'm stunned. I'm stunned many times yeah. by what some of my longtime friends in youth ministry are, are teaching and, and, and believing. And, you know, that's not a condemnation. It's a, it's a, a matter of discernment. And, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. observing this, and I'm going, Lord, please, please put people in my life who will, who will tell me the right. truth. Yeah. Well, and that even extends to, um, you know, so we're meeting with a student and they talk about, um, you know, they've been watching porn or, you know, they're, they're sinning in some way. Um, do we run to giving them grace so quickly that we never actually say, um, you have sinned? And you have offended God's holiness. Hmm. And let that sit. And if students never feel the weight of their sin, then they will not feel the weight of God's grace and of the blood of Christ shed for them because they just presume it. Yeah, and and I think to read the scriptures that way, you know, you may, you reminded me this morning I read Numbers fourteen, and uh, I'm going through a devotional that's that's taking me through some of this. And <clears throat> excuse me, in Numbers fourteen, you know, that's where uh, Moses goes before God and you know asks God to forgive the people for their grumbling, 
and he forgives. There's the grace. But it is not without consequence because what happens? You know, they have to wander now, and, and they're not going to be able to, this generation is not going to be able to see uh, or enter into the promised land. And it just got me thinking, yeah. you know, about the fact that there we do cheapen grace, and I need to understand that there are consequences. There is fallout to my sin and to my grumbling, and uh, we, we need to balance that as well. Well, let, let me do this. I would love to talk about this some more, but let me give you each an opportunity, and, and then I'll give— my, I'll direct people to what my trend is, but we're starting, you know, another ministry year. It's a weird ministry year. I've had you guys on before to talk about, you know, like so, what some of your plans are for the coming year. Just from where you sit, you know, I'm going to give you two sentences, you know, something very short uh, that you would say to youth workers is kind of a charge. Your peers, you know, what's your charge to your peers as we start this year? And it can be on something we've talked about or maybe something totally unrelated. So uh, I'll just ask you once to go first because maybe you're thinking. And and Kevin and Mike, you can't say listen to my podcast, all right? That's assumed, <laughs> all right? I've got one, Walt. I would say find ways to embody the gospel with your students. Um, you know, not, not every student is going to be able to come to a program in person because of health concerns or the specific guidelines in your area, your state. But I think if there are ways that you can prioritize some kind of in-person connection with students, even if it's one-on-one sitting socially distanced outside before the weather turns in places that are colder, um, but find some way, you know, Jesus came in flesh. And I think, uh, there's so much in the in the Bible that affirms our bodies, right? That says bodies are good, and as we've talked about, um, and I think as we've also talked about, kids are craving that in-person connection. So if there are ways that you can embody it and not just have it take place on a screen, um, I would encourage youth workers to be really creative about that in this season. That's great. That's good. Yeah, I'd say um, look for ways to equip parents for family discipleship without heaping more guilt on them than they already have because there's so much on their shoulders for work, for health, for their kids' mental health right now, and for school and remote learning and everything. Um, Don't just throw the spiritual weight of guilt and shame on them too, but give them practical tools, resources, equipping, encouraging, praying, so just, yeah, encourage that without adding to their burden. Hey, hey, that's a good launch point for me to say, Chris, put up a link to our Family Table Talk devotions because we have almost 100 of them, of them and yeah. every one of these folks have written at least one, and we're going we're gonna to restart those things and write more, and we've gotten great feedback on that, just a little tool that you can put in the hands of parents that help them, you know, for a few minutes— around the dinner table or at some point have a have a conversation about the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to do the Holy Spirit's work in a young person's life. I should have gone before Mike because he kind of took the direction that I was going, but <laughs> I think my backup uh, would be to uh, just encourage youth workers to not shy away from the difficult conversations. Um, and to be in prayer about those conversations, because whether or not you've had them this summer, they're coming this fall. Um, and 
to just be rooted in God's word um, as you go into these conversations, whether it be with parents or other youth workers or students. That's awesome. Um, I would say that this season has been very rough uh, on youth workers and youth volunteers. And I would encourage people to continue to find ways to practically do self-care and soul care. Um, and I think specifically for the youth worker or the youth pastor um, to make sure that you are spending time um, finding hope and beauty in the gospel yourself. Because what our students are looking for is really an authentic uh, voice of authority on where they're finding their hope this particular season. And I think that's going to be helpful in terms of carrying us through what comes next as we continue to look for our new normal. Yeah, that's that's good from everybody. Kevin, I want to spring off of what you said because you sparked for me a thought about what we're planning our next podcast to be on, and that's on Sabbath. And we are going to be talking to A.J. Swoboda, who's written a book, Subversive Sabbath, which is just unbelievable. I mean, it's great. In the book, you know, he, he talks about how for people in ministry, if you break nine, there's nine of the Ten Commandments. If you break them, you're going to lose your job right away. But there's one of the Ten Commandments that if you break it, you're going to get a raise. And I thought that is so true and so brilliant. And it undoes us. It undoes us. So we're going to. We're going to visit that. Uh, I'll end by saying, uh, number one, thank you to all you folks. People who are listening, we want to remind you to go to our website, cpyu.org, look for Youth Culture Matters, find the player for this particular podcast. And as you scroll down, you'll see everything that's mentioned, including a link, uh, which you'll probably see on the homepage once the, once this uh, podcast comes out, uh, a link on the homepage to uh, a trend alert that I've written on the particular thing that I was going to bring up today, but I want to let these folks, folks talk, and that is the sex-positive movement. If you're tracking with the music industry or film, you're seeing evidence of this. It's a, a way of looking at sex and sexuality, all of life, actually. There's a, there's a lot of worldview elements in this, and I've unpacked this as best as I can and, and talked about biblical sexuality Anybody who's been concerned about some of what uh, Cardi B and others have been putting out there in terms of music and music video, um, this is our answer uh, descriptor and an answer to that as well. So it'll help you understand something that's happening, the sex positive movement. So Mike, Chelsea, Carrie, Kevin, Chris, thank you for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. I know we're going to have you back again. This is helpful to me. And I know it's helpful to so many others as well. So blessings to you all. Thanks so much. And for everyone listening, we will catch you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.